This is the More Than Right Podcast, an independent view of politics and American culture. I'm your host, Steve Lopez. In February of 1901, U.S. Ambassador Joseph H. Choate represented the United States government at the funeral of Britain's Queen Victoria. Nine years later, former President Theodore Roosevelt represented the United States at the funeral of Britain's King Edward VII. Upon the death of King George VI in 1952, U.S. Secretary of State Dean Acheson attended the British sovereign state funeral. And, in September of 1997, then-First Lady Hillary Clinton represented the nation at the funeral of Princess Diana. It's an unspoken and long-held tradition in the land of the free and the home of the brave that no sitting U.S. president ever attend the state funeral of a British monarch. Ever. The proud tradition stems from our independence from Great Britain, a brave act which, as Thomas Jefferson declared, was to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them. Having declared on behalf of American independence and the equality of all men and their right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the remainder of the document is an indictment of Britain's King George III for his many crimes against freedom. And Jefferson again expressed his general disdain for monarchy in a letter to New Hampshire Governor John Langdon in 1810. Quote, now take any race of animals, confine them in idleness and inaction, whether in a stay, a stable, or a state room, pamper them with high diet, gratify all their sexual appetites, immerse them in sensualities, nourish their passions, let everything bend before them, and banish whatever might lead them to think. And in a few generations they become all body and no mind. Such is the regime of raising kings, and in this way they have gone on for centuries." Unquote. This healthy contempt for the crowned accidents of indulgent animal husbandry has been the general feeling of Americans since the nation's founding, but not so today. The escapades of British monarchy are viewed by average Americans with as much fascination and interest as the mindless antics of the bouncing bubble-top and bottom members of the Kardashian clan. In 2018, an Ipsos poll found only 26% of Americans said they looked unfavorably on British monarchy, and a surprisingly small 11% of Americans believe the British monarchy projects an image of England having an unequal society. Then, in 2021, a YouGov poll found Americans viewed Queen Elizabeth II favorably, by a whopping 68%. Our senile President Joe Biden, a self-made non-entity, wishes he was as popular with his fellow countrymen as this pampered accident of birth, with millions under her sceptered sway across the sea. But the recent passing of Queen Elizabeth has brought about a change in protocol for the American president. Mr. Biden announced he will break with American tradition and personally attend Queen Elizabeth's state funeral. This is understandable. 
Had he followed tradition, former President Donald Trump would lead the American delegation to the royal send-off. But the unpopular Biden won't allow the leader of what he calls ultra-mega such a prominent role on the world stage. When host Jack Tapper suggested it would be, quote, a clever move, unquote, for Biden to include Trump, the Twitter outrage mob went crazy. Democratic consultant and strategist Adam Parkhomenko proclaimed, quote, I can't believe the trusted news anchor who was telling people to buy Jared Kushner's book is now telling people it would be clever for Biden to invite Trump to the Queen's funeral, unquote. Another Twitter bot suggested Trump's presence in the UK would afford local authorities an opportunity to arrest him for, quote, money laundering, unquote. The crazy hysteria concerning Trump so relentlessly promoted by the left and mainstream media reminds me of the charges once put forward by absurdist third-party candidate for president, Lyndon LaRouche. He ran for the highest office in the land between the years 1976 and 2004. LaRouche famously proffered the conspiracy theory that Queen Elizabeth and former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger were members of an international cabal responsible for the sale of illicit drugs in the United States. It smacks of the same conspiracy theory that claimed Trump was a spy for Russia, the same conspiracy theory that claims Trump brought U.S. nuclear secrets to his Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida to hawk to the highest bidder. This habitual inbreeding of ideas among members of the left has led to the birth of babbling and incoherent offspring among Democrats and members of the mass media, folks remarkably like the last offspring of the Habsburg line of monarchs, King Charles II of Spain. In order to maintain power among the royal houses of Europe, the Habsburgs married close relatives. This naturally led to horrific genetic consequences. King Charles possessed a large protruding jaw known as the Habsburg jaw. His tongue was so large it protruded from his mouth. He was completely bald by the age of 35. He suffered from profound mental limitations, and he died at age 39. This malady has found its modern political equivalent in what's known as Trump derangement syndrome. And this condition has led, as Thomas Jefferson once observed of European royalty, to an idleness and inaction that has banished whatever might lead them to think, to become all body and no mind. Such is the regime of falling and dying kings. Americans have become far too soft and trusting. The recently concluded hysteria and draconian government mandates over COVID-19, which the Centers for Disease Control now admit had little effect in stemming the lethality and spread of the disease, should have made all of us less naive. You may recall how that hysteria was used as a cudgel 
by the media and Joe Biden's 2020 presidential campaign team to attack President Donald Trump and his administration for not working hard enough to combat the fast-approaching end of the world. And having taken the White House, Biden used this public health hysteria to issue COVID vaccine mandates for federal employees, the U.S. military, and civilian businesses with 100 or more employees. Those who refused to obey the government's invasive mandate lost their livelihoods and were condemned as Luddite science deniers, even conveyors of death. But with more evidence of deadly vaccine reactions, the so-called science deniers have been proven right. It underscores the efficacy and safety built into our nation's founding principle known as the consent of the governed. So far, we've heard nothing but a few semi-apologetic mutterings from government bodies such as the CDC. But the policymakers in the White House and Congress have been conspicuously silent. The ones who claim to possess special knowledge, making them uniquely qualified to rule unquestioned over us, elites with clay feet. Their media enablers, Washington's chief co-conspirator in its enormous and deadly errors, have remained unapologetic as well. But these same entities, the ones who never apologize, demand apologies of others, and never more so than from President Donald Trump. But Trump is a rare Republican, one that doesn't come to his Democrat and media detractors to beg for forgiveness and affection like a kicked dog, as do most Republicans. And come to think of it, Trump supporters, known to Democrats and the media alike as ultra-mega, also refuse to obey restrictions placed on their speech and beliefs by the authoritarians of little credibility. The evidence is in. It's time for Americans to be less trusting of experts, especially those whose expertise is so shaky it requires coordination between the White House, executive branch agencies, big tech social media platforms, and the press to muzzle dissenting views. Views that eventually prove right. In other words, it's time for Americans to be a little more like, well, Trump. That concludes this edition of the More Than Right podcast. Should you wish to leave a comment, you can reach us at morethanrightpodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes. It will help promote the podcast and be much appreciated. Until next time, this is Steve Lopez. Steve Lopez